Welcome to the Talking Writing Podcast. I'm John Vogel, TW's Art Director. In today's episode, TW Managing Editor Neva Taliadin speaks with Dana Humphrey, author of the memoir May All Beings Be Fed, which was originally published in December of 2021. Dana wrote the book through the lens of her childhood persona, Yaya, and it chronicles her shamanic journey through life via globetrotting adventures, mental health diagnoses, and inner reflection. Before embarking on this writing journey, Dana was best known as The Pet Lady, making television appearances and launching her company Whitegate PR, which largely caters to pet product manufacturers. After finishing but not submitting a coffee table book based on that persona, Dana found that she wanted to write something that was more aligned with her own personal journey and started compiling stories from her diaries. Once she had a working manuscript, she approached Neva to help edit the book into final form. In this conversation, the two talk about the motivations, process, and hard work that went into getting May All Beings Be Fed out into the world. Hello, welcome Dana, and welcome to the Talking Writing Podcast. And for those joining us, um, I am with Dana Humphrey, who is a life coach and author, um, but she's also a course instructor at the New York City Business Solutions and sponsorship director at Dance Parade New York. And as if that wasn't enough, (laughs) she's also an artist and hot yoga teacher. So welcome, Dana. How are you today? Thank you. I'm feeling good. Yeah, you just came from your from teaching your hot yoga this morning. That's right. Yes. So um, before anything else, like, would you want to share with the audience like why you wrote "May All Beings Be Fed" and um, what was the the event that was the aha moment when you decided you would write the book? Sure. Thank you. Yeah, it was, it's been a really long journey. And um, yeah, like you said, the book came out um, January 11th of last year in 2022. And I probably started writing a book um, about eight or nine years ago. And I was, um, at that time, I was super involved with doing public relations in the pet industry and I was um, positioning myself as a pet expert, as the pet lady. And I had a friend in the publishing world, um, Karen Strauss, and um, I was doing a lot of um, PR for some book events for her of all different types. And together we decided that it might be a fun idea for me to write a book um, called Adventures with the Pet Lady. And, you know, it was going to be a coffee table book. It was going to be a hardcover book. And... Um, you know, just provide kind of some stories and some tips and tricks for pet owners and have some graphics and things like that. So I started writing that book. I actually wrote that book and I never gave it to Karen because um, it just didn't feel real. It didn't feel right. It felt a little bit too like phony. And um, 
yeah, what I didn't feel fully behind it. Like that was something that I wanted to put out. And so I just, I sat with it and I sat with it and um, I started taking some writing classes and just for fun, just writing my own stories. And um, after a while of doing that, after several years of doing that, I um, flew to Guatemala to go to a retreat. And that's really where um, this book kind of came together. Um, I had my, you know, paper diaries that I had been writing my stories for the past couple of years. Um, I had the shell of the adventures with the pet lady. I even had a, had a cover for that book. And, um, and then after, during the pandemic, it was, I had a couple of days, I had Wi-Fi, I had my computer and I just started like writing out my stories and putting them into, um, into the, into the computer. So through that process, I realized that I really didn't want to put out an Adventures with the Pet Lady book. I really wanted to share my own story. And so I started working with a book coach. And through that process, that helped me kind of like uh, massage the process a little bit more and start to get real about what it is to write a book. And um, through that, I learned about butt glue um, which really has been help was really helpful for me of just kind of this decision of like, I'm going to glue my butt to the chair and do the thing. And what I found really helpful was waking up early. I was living with a lot of people. I had 11 roommates and I found that for me, um, the best time to write was really early in the morning. First thing. So I'd wake up early and maybe 5 a.m., 4 a.m., before the sunrise, have that quiet time to just channel and write and let things come through me. Um, but really, it was just kind of like an honest look at myself. And I think the pandemic helped me with that of saying, you know what, this is my life force energy. This is my um, transmission that I want to share. And I want it to be um, a little bit more meaningful, even if it's only meaningful to one person. Um, I want to share an honest account of my story, um, not something that's like a little bit more, um, I don't know, fake. And you, it's interesting when you said that, um, yeah, it's advised by public in publishing that your first book not be a memoir. I mean, who says that? Like, I mean, who, who like made that yeah, hard and fast rule? rule, right? <laughs> it's like, is it because you know it depends on what your goal is for writing and it sure. it seemed like pretty clear to you it came to you that it was time to come out with this story so let's talk about the story like you tell this story actually through a third person you talk about this through the eyes of yaya right so tell me a bit more about yaya yeah, thank you. I mean, you you just use the word coming out and I feel like that is a big piece of of my story is um coming out as, you know, with mental illness and coming out with some truth about my sexuality and things of that nature. And so um I found it easier to write from the third person as my childhood self. And so I really see the book as written from um, the little girl that um, kind of this unhealed 
um, inner self um, that was called Yaya. Um, my little sister um, couldn't say the name Dana when we were kids. And so she called me Yaya. And so I really wrote the book through Yaya's lens. Um, and it, it, it not only was helpful for me in my writing process um, to write from Yaya's perspective, but I also think that there's kind of something interesting about that, that um, it's not necessarily from the perspective that I'm at right now. It's like through that little girl's eyes and through her memory, which, um, you know, memories aren't necessarily facts, right? They're just yep. interpretations of um, how we feel or how we think things are happening at that at that time and how we remember them. It's impressions that are true to us, but it's not, it doesn't necessarily have to be historical fact. Right. And that's one thing that we both learned through this process because we were looking at it both from a lens of, okay, Dana, just write about how you felt during this time, what you remember from this time, and the importance of this these events in your life. But at the same time, we also had to ground it uh, all the orienting details, which is what, like, that's the push-pull um, of writing a memoir. It's real, but it's also, like, a, the version that um, is real to you that that other people did not see. You know, like, 10 people could be in that event with you, and they would write it 10 different ways, right? Absolutely. And you wrote it in, in your way. Um, but since there were so many things that were there were so many revelations you were you were working through as you said um coming to terms with your mental health um coming to terms with your sexuality um was it easier then to view those things through yaya um was this a deliberate device that you that you used so that you could address it better? yeah Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It was a, definitely a deliberate choice of um, of writing through Yaya and cr kind of cr helping create a little bit of separation for me. And um, yeah, that you mentioned push-pull. That definitely feels like resonant for how the process was for me. And that's why the butt glue is like so important is that, you know, it was like, um, in a way, it's like an, my own, it was a, another way of a therapy process, right? Like I've, I've done all different types of, um, you know, talk therapy and different things, but actually um, writing it again, witnessing myself and sitting through some of these um, stories again, it, it was, it is a emotional push pull of, um, okay, am I really gonna share this? Um, and just the process itself of, of writing the memoir was possibly like the most, um, I don't know, healing thing that I, that I could have done, or just in my, in my journey, there's lots of different healing things that I've done. And somehow writing this book has really, um, helped me kind of, I don't know, move on from a lot of those feelings that I had. Yeah. And, I kind of see myself as like before the book and after the book. And um, now that it's a year later, I, I was able to just really let go of a lot of that stuff through the writing process and through the writing journey. 
And now back to our interview with Dana Humphrey, author of May All Beings Be Fed. Because this is what we were talking about yesterday too, like how when you write a book, um, especially if it's a memoir, like people, readers will tend to encapsulate you in that book. Um, but you're a human being, so you continue to live apart from that book. And so, um, you, as you mentioned, like you might think differently now um, as opposed to when you were writing the book, right? What do you mean when you said that you moved on after that book? Yeah, it's like a it's like a weight has been lifted. Um, it's you know, it's like I put out this book, and it's and now it has its own its own life, and the readers have their own experience with it. And as an author, like you can't control what the reader is going to interpret or find or remember, even. Um, and so it's been kind of an interesting journey of even talking to people who have read the book and the things that they remember or don't remember um and the further kind of I I get away from it the more I actually am happy that I wrote it through Yaya's perspective because I feel like it really is through her perspective not through who I am at this Mm -hmm. moment and I can continue to grow and shift and change and the book is still um you know still there I guess part of my um Uh, my own like personal spiritual journey has been to be like, how can I be really strong in the seat of myself? And that's been something that um, I've been really working on, I guess, for the last year. And I think this book um, has helped me with that because it's a, it's a vulnerable book. It's a memoir. I'm really sharing like a lot of my personal things that most, a lot of people don't usually share um, around, um, you know, drug use and sex and um, all of these different topics that are generally kind of taboo. And in a way, it's like you get to read my diary and get a little life, like get a little glimpse into like Yaya's like personal thoughts and stories. And to be able to give myself my own validation and not be looking to other people or for whatever they think about the book is, is like part of that journey. Like, how can I, you know, it's like, I put out this really honest, vulnerable story and um, everyone gets to have their own interaction with it. And I'm not really attached to that anymore. Whatever you want to think about me is up to you. And I don't really care. Um, My whole jam is like love and freedom. And I feel like this book has helped me in a way that I never thought was possible before um, to have more love and appreciation in my life for myself, for my family, for the people in my life, and also feel even more freedom from myself of the, of my own shackles that I in the past put on myself of who I needed to be or who I thought I expected myself to be or what I thought society wanted me to be. And now it's like, it's all out there. I'm, I'm naked. And, um, and, and there you go. That's it. Yeah. Like you saw it. <laughs> now like, now what? Well, you talk about your, um, mental health, um, journey as well in the book. It was, uh, you know, a pivotal moment in the book. And, um, you said, you mentioned the before, 
Dana at the end of the after Dana. And you mentioned how you don't necessarily identify so much with your the insights or the reflections that you had about your mental health in the book. So can you talk more about that? Like, what do you mean when you say you don't necessarily think that way anymore? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, for a while, I really, you know, I really thought that I was broken. I really thought there was something deeply wrong with me. And um, I was working with, um, and this is something I share in the book, I was working with a life coach. And um, I really had been doing a lot of research about the DSM-5 and about um, narcissistic abuse and about um, borderline personality disorder. And I really wanted my life coach, who was also a social worker, to diagnose me with BPD. And she was reluctant, but after a while, she did. And I felt a lot of relief from that diagnosis. Like, I kind of had always felt like a little bit off or a little bit weird or there's something wrong with me. And so having this diagnosis kind of like put me in that group. Like, oh, you're just, you know, in the borderline personality disorder group. And I found some, I found some relief from that and um, identified with that for a while and then kind of through, again, through this like healing journey that never really ends, um, I found like more of a shamanic perspective of like, we're all just humans having a human experience and these boxes and these categories that we create to have ourselves be more separate doesn't necessarily do anything for us. And it doesn't, it's not really necessarily real. Um, you know, through becoming a hot yoga teacher and really following my passion for hot yoga, to me, the whole purpose of of that practice is um, coming back to oneness and um, finding that connection. And so yeah. the more that, you know, we kind of like isolate ourselves and put ourselves in these different boxes, like I'm, you know, I'm this kind of person, not this kind of person. Um, I don't feel like that really serves me anymore. Yeah. And so there was a time when I really hung on to that uh, BPD diagnosis and I was really like into it. And now I'm like, yeah, sure. You know, that's there. I'm not like against it or running away from it. I don't just, it's just not in the forefront for me anymore. Yeah. You know, it's interesting that everything you said resonates with a previous guest that we had, another author, Sarah Faye where she talks about diagnosis and recovery. Um, and, and she had struggled with her own mental health issues. Um, and she mentions that, you know, the limitations of diagnosis is that it puts you in a box and doesn't really make space for a real human experience, which is that you can recover or you can move on from being exactly a part of that it's it's a lot of it focuses on conformity right rather than healing right and recovery which is supposed to be you know the the main goal the only goal of medicine and science discoveries in science is, is to benefit us or to heal us right um but i want to tie this into uh, your discovery like i i want to ask too like your motto in the book or the title of your book is may all beings be fed and i'm wondering like through your realizations after writing the book does that still resonate with you does that philosophy still resonate with you and can you explain what may all beings be fed means anyway 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah, the title just continues to feel um, more. Um, so I can I can explain what that what I mean by that. So the title is "May All Beings Be Fed," and and there's a story one in one of the chapters that I talk about. Um, I was at a retreat and I was hanging on the porch with a friend, and the sun was going down, and there was a lot of mosquitoes. And he shared this philosophy with me that um, when you get a mosquito bite, it's because of the resistance. And that's a resistance is a huge theme in my book. So if resistance is something that you're working with, like I know Yaya knows about resistance. <laughs> um, and so I really was able to um, adopt this um, theory or this like practice in that moment of if I can drop my resistance to the mosquito and drop my like thoughts about, I don't know, hating the mosquito or being annoyed by the mosquito or being frustrated or all of these kind of um, these emotions, then there's no itchy mosquito bite. Um, it's not necessarily that the mosquitoes don't bite me anymore. I just don't have a reaction. Yes. And, um, you know, later on after I wrote this, I read Yogananda's book and he had, he writes a very similar story about this that I, when I would read it, I was like, wow, this is, you know, this is part of my story. Um, so, and, and I, and I've heard people say that, um, Yogananda was like very magical thinking. Um, and I feel like sometimes when I share this story, um, that people don't really believe that it's true. And, it's just, it, it, it was literally, it's, it was literally a shift in my thinking that went from having lots of mosquito bites that were driving me crazy and being itchy. And that driving me crazy is the important part. It's the point. Yes. Yeah. It's like, I just shifted to like, not driving me crazy. And now it doesn't. Yeah. And it's like the power of our thoughts is like really impactful. And so as I continue on in my life, I feel like I'm actually, if anything, I'm having more of an opening to love and more of an opening to other people and other creatures and dropping my resistance all the time. Yeah. Like there's always more, there's always more resistance to drop, I think. And there's always like more opening and expansion and love that's possible. So when I think about may all beings be fed, yeah, if anything, I'm, I'm, finding more empathy and more compassion in my life as I kind of adopt this philosophy, like even deeper, like on every yeah. cellular level. And I don't think that that is ever necessarily done. Um, it, it can kind of continue to unfold. And now back to our interview with Dana Humphrey author of May All Beings Be Fed. Um, so let's talk about, let's segue from like hurt and all of that um, to the practical side of uh, your book, practical side of writing your book. Because it's not only, when you're writing a memoir, you're not only thinking about yourself and how that impacts you or can hurt or not hurt you. But you're also thinking about the people that you mentioned in the book. Now, I know um, for 
um, legal compliance sake, we had to change some names, right? And make sure that no one is identifiable for certain sensitive um, events. Um, but what's interesting to me is that, of course, you had to mention your parents, your sister, your childhood, and you asked them not to read the book. So what, um, what made you decide to do that? You know, in a way, this this book is is a is a type of diary, right? It's um it's impossible to write um everything that's ever happened in your life um because it just that's just not how it can work, but in a way, it is a diary, and um so I did have some fear when I was um about a month or two away from this book coming out of starting to have this a little bit of fear settle in of like okay, I really don't want my parents to read this. And instead of just sitting in that fear, my book coach was like, well, why don't you just ask them not to read it? And it seems so simple and so straightforward. But while I was in it, you know, I, I really like that didn't seem like a solution to me. Um, and she's, she, it was like very clear. And I thought, okay, great. So I wrote them an email. I said, hey, I'm coming out with this book. And I'd really, you know, it, not even like I'd appreciate you not reading it. Like, do not read it. <laughs> <laughs> Very definitive. It's you like, know, like, look, mom, dad, don't just don't read the book. <laughs> yeah, just don't read it. And you know, my dad got back to me and he said, "Okay, we've been we've been fair warned." And um, and I really believe that they haven't read it. Um, and I think that you know, my relationship with my parents is better than it's ever been, and it continues to be. Um, I don't know, more peaceful with them. And I think part of it is that um, also this trust that we had of me asking them not to read it or suggest, you know, suggesting they don't read it and them actually not doing that. I feel um, respected in that, yeah. in that um, offering. And I did have some, I did have some reservations and some fears about that. Uh, my sister did read the book. Mm -hmm. um, she, she, you know, gave me glowing feedback and I, oh, that's nice. my sister and I have a really close relationship. So I was, a, yeah. I was um, happy about that, but you know, I know that the book's like in her house and I know my parents go to her house and there's like, some, <gasps> there's still like some little, like little <sighs> traces of fear that happen. Like, Oh, what if my mom just picks it out and opens to a page and finds something that she doesn't want to see? Um, it's and I, like you, six year old, asking six years old, asking your parents, "Don't read my diary. I have a yeah. diary. Don't read my diary." Yeah, I I do think some of my relatives have read it, and you know, um, and what I've kind of learned again now that we're a year away from it, um, having that time and space to kind of like settle in and let those fears um, subside, is that you know I find when I share my vulnerable self um generally people just have compassion it's surprising how people can be generous too um yeah. you know it's it's a real fear of authors because it's such a vulnerable process that putting your work out there opens you to so much you know criticism or or reaction but it's also surprising how generous people can be or how much it resonates like, did you expect it to resonate so much with other people? 
Yeah, it's it's interesting. Like when I when I talk to friends or I talk to people who have read it, um, the parts that they like pick out always seem like really random to me. But that you know, <laughs> like that's their that's like whatever their experiences. Yeah, at that moment too that they chose to re- read it, and um, I also think that you mentioned like the changing of the names and things like that. I definitely had some anxiety about that as well. And I think like we did a good job. Like I feel <laughs> like no one's identity was revealed. And if even people who know me really well are like, ooh, who's that? So um yeah, in a way, I think that um that you know we covered our bases and yeah. I, I feel good about the the characters um that were you know shifted a little bit. That's right. Like you were recounting real expe- a real experience that happened to you. So when you write, wrote it in your book and had to change that, um, was that something that helped or was that something that you wish that you didn't have to do? Um, it, was, it was a little confusing. Yeah, I, w- I think I wrote most of it um, with the real, real names and, and identities. And then once I had selected like which stories were going to comprise each chapter, then I was able to kind of um, make sure that the identities were appropriately um, changed. And there's some people in there who their identities are as is. Um, uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. As well. Yeah. So it's, it's a mix. Mm-hmm. Talking about the real work that you had to do, you mentioned a while ago that, you know, butt in chair and you had to like wake up early and everything. Was there at any point, was there a time when you wondered whether or not you would finish the book at all? Or how did you know that, okay, this book is finished or I should keep writing? Like how many years did it take for you to write the book? Like two years? I mean, the whole process was a, was like eight or nine years. But once yeah. I got clarity on the fact that I was going to write a memoir, um, it was about... Yeah, at least two years. And yeah, it was, um, yeah, it was hard. It was work, you know, and if anyone who's been in any kind of artistic process, um, you know, you may know that it can be excruciating. And it's kind of like this, you know, there's like the beginning with the excitement. And then there's like the actually doing it that's like hard and plugging away. And then you kind of get to the other side of it. And um, I just had to decide actually at some point I had to, you know, I really gave myself deadlines and I really okay. had to decide at some point that I was going to be done um, because with a memoir, like you can just keep adding yeah. chapters, at making edits like forever. And at some point, like you just have to be done just like a just like a piece of art you know if you are painting like you could keep making little tweaks for like 25 years but like yeah. at some point you just have to say like okay I'm done with this yeah. and um having a team is very helpful having other people know about the deadlines that you've yeah. made yourself is helpful but um yeah it was um a definitely like a huge cathartic process and um yeah there was days where I don't know it can kind of I can kind of relate it to um or like 
I don't know, someone who has like an agenda to work out every day. Mm -hmm. And so like, if you get your workout done in the morning, you feel like, yeah, I got it, you know? And then if you wait and you postpone, it's kind of like on your mind all day. And then if you finally eventually do it at like 10 PM, <laughs> all that mental energy you've wasted all day thinking like, that's true okay, you know like the self um the self-talk of like you should do that workout when are you going to do that workout the same happened like with the book so you know I on my good days I would wake up early and I would like have that quiet time in the morning and do a couple of hours and then feel good and I could move on and work on other projects and then there was other days where I would you know, cook and clean and procrastinate and do all kinds <laughs> of other things than working on the book. And then finally at, in the evening, I would like sit down and do it, but it was way less productive. So yeah, there was a whole journey with like getting, again, getting my butt in the chair and getting that butt glue on of deciding. <laughs> and then there was like many goals I would set for myself. Like, okay, you can sit here for the next hour and then you get to have the other cup of coffee or what, you know, these little yeah. micro goals that I would create for myself to encourage myself to like sit there and write or edit or change things or reread something um, to try to make it flow a little bit better. Mm -hmm. And also like you wrote this book against the advice of, you know, it wasn't the concept that was advised to you. And I think it's primarily also because you are natur naturally, but you are really inclined to be an artist, right? You are an artist. You you do your own visual arts too. You dance, um, you know, and, and you write. Um, so, and you're going to do this for the rest of your life. Like we were talking about that yesterday, right? So you are one of those that we call in talking writing, a creative lifer. So like, why? Why do we do this? Like, what do you think? Art is not one of those things that, ha that has an immediate tangible value in the sense of productivity or in the sense of monetary value, right? So for you, what is the value of art? What is the use of writing? Well, okay. So in a way, I think that... Um writing this book has also helped me give myself permission to be a creative lifer or be an artist and not feel like, um, again, this like self pressure to like work in a different way. Um, I think I've known that I'm an artist for a very long time. And, um, so it's kind of like full circle, like, you know, Yaya used to go to art classes and that was something that I, you know, made her feel really good. And so um, now, yeah, full circle, like um, I spend a lot of my time making art and visual art and experiential art and um, basically kind of like taking ideas and putting them into reality. And again, it's like um, what I think it's going to be like and what it ends up being like, there's often a big disconnect between those things, even with the book. Um, but that doesn't mean um, it's not worth doing. And, um, and yeah, being an artist is not necessarily easy. Um, and it is rewarding. It's super rewarding. Um, you know, it's like, I made this, here you go. Like, 
do whatever you want with it. There's like all these different ways of expression. Um, and I think, yeah, I guess that's what feels important to me is um, expressing myself. And also, I guess, giving in doing that, giving other people permission to express themselves. And yeah, like, let's all just be human together on this planet, you know, like. I just, I think, celebrating being alive. Yeah. And it's enough that we are here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think that's the that's why I was like really um, that your memoir resonated with me as well because of that. It's like you know, it's enough that we're here. Um, it's beautiful. Yeah. It's beautiful enough without anything else. You know. Thank you for listening to the Talking Writing podcast. We're an independent literary site and nonprofit organization based in the Boston area, but with contributors from around the world. Since our founding in 2010, we've relied on donations to keep publishing and podcasting. To donate to TW, you can use the donate button on the rss.com page of this podcast or visit talkingwriting.com donate. And of course, feel free to drop us a line at editor at talkingwriting.com.